good. Sorry, man, I'm just excited to be back. It's going to be a great time. Welcome to the Salt Company Spring Kickoff. We are back. You guys are the few, the proud, the people. I don't know why I said that. You made it through the snow, and I'm proud of you guys. It's going to be great. If we haven't met yet, my name is Trent. And if you are, uh, if you've been back, if you've been here before, we're glad that you're back. Excited for all that God's going to do this semester. If you're brand new, uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. We hope Salt Company is a place you can find a home, hope a place that you can grow in your relationship with God this semester. We're going to be talking, uh, we're starting a new series, Open Upping Our Bibles, just like we do every Thursday here at Salt Company, talking about relationships, right? Relationships, we all have them, so many different types of relationships. They're good things, but they also can be messy and broken. And so I think it's going to lead to some great conversations. We'll, next week, we'll talk about dating. We'll have a week on sex. We'll have a week on family. And this week, we are talking about the relationship of friendship. And so we're going to get there in a second, but just to introduce myself a little bit more if you're new. Uh, so my name is Trent, director of Salt Company here, and I brought a picture of my family. So I can introduce them. Yep, there we are. So that's my wife, Kirsten, and my daughter, Elsie. And uh, guys, don't hate me, but this picture was taken last week during the snowstorm here <laughs> in Florida. So brag, bragging just a little bit. Uh, literally, we left and there was zero snow. And we came back, and I don't know what you guys did here, but it was something messed up happened. And uh, this was in Florida, and be honest, we, if you, if, you know, when you go somewhere warm, like, am I a bad person for this? Like, you don't want to go somewhere and it be the exact same temperature. Like, it's like, we're in Florida at 70, but it's like 40 here. I'm like, ah, oh, it's not that, you know, so... Is that bad? Like, it makes it a little better when, it, when it's a little colder back here? Y- yeah, you guys? Okay. Well, uh, so that, I, uh... I actually found, yeah, I found a lot of joy in that. And um, I, guys, I had, I, I literally was, was, uh, was, we had a, my parents had a Airbnb like on the beach. I'm just going full in here. And I literally at one point was reclined back, looking out baby blue ocean and all that, sun coming down, reclined back. I pulled out my phone. I hired Sam Wynn to uh, come and, and like scoop my snow because it, I, there was literally like a foot of snow. Actually, I, I just was watching that video and enjoying the sun. I actually brought a, the video, uh, if you don't mind uh, playing that. So, yeah, here's, I was just, yeah, and then, yeah, there he goes. And I was literally just enjoying the sun, watching this. I was literally watching it live. And there's the other one, so. <laughs> You're doing great. Wait for it, Sam. <laughs> Round of applause for Sam. Good job, Sam. All right, mostly I just wanted to find an excuse to play that video. Sam, I love you so much. But guys, we had, we had a great trip. We had a great time. But while we were traveling back, I started to think about this topic of friendship. And it was the first time that my wife and I had traveled uh, with our baby, going on an airplane and all that. And so uh, I made an observation while, I, while we were going through the air, airport and on the airplane. And it caused me to make an observation about friendship. And here's the observation that I saw, is that the easiest time to make a friend is when you are a baby. And then it gets progressively harder. Like literally the easiest time. Like you guys saw the reaction you had. I just post a, like a picture and you're like, oh, like literally that was like the story of the airport of like literally more friends than Kirsten and I have total, like Elsie made just in that short amount of time. Like, first of all, it's like other babies, like they just smile and drool at each other and play with the same toy. And it's like instant friendship. Uh, but also grandmas. Yeah, I, there's literally, I think there's something in, like they cannot help themselves. 
Like, they'll come by, they'll see a little baby, and they're just like, I can't not make a noise or, like, interact with them. Like, instant friendship. There was a grandma and, like, her little granddaughter that was, like, sitting behind us. They played peekaboo. The grandma couldn't even speak English, and they were, like, all best friends. Like, literally just like that. And then we went uh, into the the airplane, and this happened, like, multiple times, and, like, instantly, like, they're playing peekaboo with the people. uh, Elsie's playing peekaboo with the people behind them, and it's like, oh, yeah, we looked back. Like, that's cute. And then they're, like, 10 minutes in, and we're like, is this, this is awkward for us now. And so, like, the easiest time to make a friend is when you are a baby. It's just, you know, spit and smiles, and that's friendship. Okay, so that's the easiest time. Then it gets a little bit harder, but it's still really easy. You get to elementary school. And here's what happens in elementary school with friendship is basically all you need in elementary school to become best friends is one shared interest, right? It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. Like if you can find that one shared interest, like boom, you are best friends. So for me, uh, one of those interests, I uh, was really cool, you can tell, uh, was Yu-Gi-Oh. Anybody Yu-Gi-Oh? Let's go. Nobody. Okay, cool. <laughs> you Pokemon kids. Anyways. Uh, so I had, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I got for Christmas, like, a Yu-Gi-Oh! dual deck. Here it is, yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh! dual deck. <laughs> Guys, back in the day, this was the coolest thing. You literally could play your cards right on there. And I show up, and this other kid also got a Yu-Gi-Oh! dual deck. Instantly best friends, right? Instantly best friends. Like, hanging out before school, hanging out during recess, hanging out after school. So that's, like, friendship in elementary schools. You find that shared one, that one shared interest. It doesn't matter who you are, who they are. Like, you're best friends. Elementary school. And then you get to middle school. Okay, middle school, uh, it probably is a split for some people. Some people are like, that's when it got really bad. I still feel like middle school was, like, relatively, like, okay, it was, like, relatively easy. It gets a little messy, gets a little deeper. Uh, but some of my prime friendship moments, I feel like I look back like, man, friendship in middle school was just the best. Like, if, like for me, the highlight is just middle school sleepovers. You go to a middle school sleepover, uh, you know, me and the guys playing uh, Call of Duty Zombies till like 3 a.m. That was our game at the time. Yep. Playing Call of Duty Zombies, you know, doing Nerf Wars. Uh, you know, you're starting to get a little deeper. You're talking about girls at this point. Like, you know, like friendship's getting a little deeper. And then uh, you're, it's time to go to bed and you're all like, okay, like now we're actually going to go to bed. And then one person starts giggling and then like everyone starts giggling. <laughs> we see, we've all been there. Shared experience. Then you wake up in the middle of the night and you're freezing because your friend didn't give you a blanket. So you're using throw pillows as your blanket and the DVD t- title thing is still going. Anyways, that's my experience. So like middle school friendship. I look back and I'm like, man, like things were simple. Things were easy. Things were like just, you know, fun. And then you fast forward to today, you skip a few life stages, and we find ourselves today, and we kind of look back to this ideal picture of like, man, yeah, when friendship, when life was simpler, right? When things were great. I look back and I was like, it's that ideal picture of, of what it was. And now we, we, we look around and we realize a few, uh, we, can, we can come to realize a few harsh realizations, that like now that we've, we've, we've gotten a little bit older, we've gone through a few life stages, we come to a few different harsh realizations, and here's one of them it might be. One might be like, man, that was awesome. As I think back to all like what friendship used to look like, but now if I'm honest with myself where I'm at today is that if I examine the friendships of my life, I don't feel like I have any real friendships. Uh, there's a statistic that was posted recently that 73% of Gen Z 18 to 22-year-olds report having feelings of loneliness either sometimes or always. And so maybe you like, you know, it's like you know people, you know, but like there's a tendency like when we get to this age to look around and say, man, like 
to find ourselves without any real friendships or with very few real friendships. Maybe that's one realization that we, we grow into. And we start thinking, man, I don't know how to make friends now. It's harder. It's awkward. It's scary. It takes too much energy. So that's one realization we might have. We grow up and realize we don't have those solid friendships anymore like we used to. Or we realize that those friendships that we do have are no longer simple and pure, but messy and broken. No longer are the days of friendship as simple as a singular shared interest and a hobby, but now we have to deal with gossip and betrayal and passive-aggressive comments and someone abandoning you when times get hard. See, we all want that ideal version, that kid version of friendship, but there's a longing in our heart for this type of friendship, stay up late, enjoying each other. But there seems to be, oftentimes, as we get older, something that's broken. Why is this? Why do we feel this, and why do we see, why does it feel like friendships, these relationships that we have, are oftentimes broken? Well, when we open up our Bibles, you can just do that to Genesis. We're going to be hopping around. We've been mostly in Proverbs this tonight. When we open up our Bibles to the beginning, when God creates the world, we notice a few things. First, we notice that God created Adam. But in Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Right? In this verse here, it is referring to marriage, it is referring to the creation of Eve, but it's actually making a broader observation about mankind. That humans themselves, mankind, is not meant to live alone. That God has created us for relationships with other people. We are relational beings. Has anybody ever watched the show Alone on Netflix? Highly recommend if you haven't. Really, nobody. Raise your hand if you've seen Alone on Netflix. Good stuff. Yeah, go watch it. It is crazy. It's like Survivor on steroids. They literally take people and they put them in the, remote, the most remote places in Alaska with a few resources and say, literally, survive alone. And like last one standing wins. It, that is literally the premise of it. And it is, it is amazing. And they, and they take a camera with them. And the interesting thing about the show is that a lot of times, like, what, what brings people back, right, is like, okay, they, they couldn't find food, they're hungry, they got too cold, they got sick, they, they got a cut or something like that. And so that's like what will often bring people home. But oftentimes what brings some of the last contestants home isn't those physical things. It is literally loneliness. It is literally the impact of being away from society, away from people for so long that it starts to drive them crazy. Because as humans, we are relational beings. God has made us relational beings, meant to be in relationship with other human beings. We are relational beings, and God is a relational God. Just a chapter earlier in Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Okay, who's God talking to there? He's not talking to us. He's talking to himself. This is God speaking. Who is the hour in this? The Trinity, the, the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. For all of eternity, God ex has existed in this perfect community with himself. And we, as people, are people made in his image. And it only, so it only makes sense that this communal God, this relational God, has made us to be relational beings. So that's who we are. That's, that's why we have this longing for relationships. But something happens in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve rebel against God. 
right? They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God commanded them not to eat from, and they're cast away from God. And that vertical relationship between God and man is broken, but not only that, but our horizontal relationships, the sin curse comes over our horizontal relationships, and those are broken too. Our relationships between each other. And so that's where we find ourselves today. This longing in our hearts for for friendship, for relationship with others, but there's something that has been broken by the curse of sin. And so that's that, that, that tension that we feel today. But Scripture does leave us with a picture, and this is where we're going to go tonight. And this is, we're going to spend our time, a picture of what this friendship that we were created for should and can look like. And so we're going to spend our time in Proverbs. You can turn there. Now, in Proverbs, if you haven't uh, read it before, is a bunch of short, like, quotable sayings that give godly wisdom and, and advice. And so a lot of times, we'll just open up to a passage. Here, we're going we're gonna to jump around to a lot of different places in Proverbs, and it's going to give this picture of what this biblical friendship should look like. There's something broken, but Scripture gives us this picture of what it can and should look like. And so we're going to have five marks of biblical friendship. So we're going to zip through them. Five marks of biblical friendship. Here's Mark 1. Friends, build each other up. We'll get Proverbs 13, 20 with me. Friends, build each other up. Proverbs 13, 20. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. One quote that I've heard before is that the sum total is that you are the sum total of your five closest friends. Right? We're the sum total of our five closest friends. Think about that. The people that we hang out with the most are going to be the people who influence us to become who we become. Right? If all of you, you know, if all of your friends have the Stanley water bottle, you're probably going to have the Stanley water bottle. Right? If all of your friends go out on the weekend and drink as their, their activity of choice, you're probably going to be someone who goes to the bars and gets drunk. Right? If, all the way, if, if the way that your friends talk is filthy, that's how you will begin to talk. We think like our friends think. We talk like our, our friends talk, and we act like our friends act. The people that we surround ourselves with will determine who we become. So what is this challenge of this Proverbs? Is to surround yourself with people, with wise people who are going to build you up. And who are wise people? People who are going to build you up to know and to love God. Think about it. If you want to be a man of God, if that's an ambition of yours, if you want to be a woman of God, you have to surround yourself with other men and women of God. Guys, my mind was blown the first time I found this type of community. In high school, like, I wanted to follow Jesus, but I was nervous to do it, and I didn't have anyone else to do it with. And I got to college, and I finally, I found some guys that were further along in their faith than me, and they wanted to follow Jesus. And the first time I found that, my mind was blown, because I enjoyed hanging out with these guys, and they built me up to know the Lord. Right? They challenged me to confess sin. They encouraged me in my faith. They walked through my faith with me. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. This is how Christian community works. This is how good biblical friendship works. Is wood doesn't sharpen iron. You can't take iron and sharpen it with wood. You can't take iron and sharpen it with plastic. How do you sharpen iron? With other iron. Something of the same strong essence. 
This is how we grow as, we, as believers, is growing together, pushing each other to know the Lord, confessing sin, encouraging one another. And so here's my challenge for you. Here's my challenge for you if you feel like you don't have this community. If you do, praise God. And I'm glad that you found that community and I hope it's been a blessing to you like it's been a blessing to me. But if you don't have that, let me just challenge you and encourage you to, to come and find that with us. Come and find that in this room. Right, this room is full of people who want that as well. And so if you find yourself like you have some great friends, but they don't know the Lord, they don't build you towards the things of the Lord, would you find that here? One of the best ways you can find that, it, you, just, you, know, you can just meet someone today, and that'd be great. But also we have connection groups. If you're not in a connection group and, and you're looking for that type of friendship, would you join one tonight? We're going to have an opportunity for you to do that back in the welcome space. A connection group is really simple. We meet here Thursdays for Saul, and then we meet either on campus or in our apartments throughout the week for connection groups. It's a group of believers, a group of sinners saying, hey, we're messed up and broken, but we want to grow in our faith. And so we're going to do life together. We're going to have fun together. We're going to open up the Bible together. And we're going to, to help each other know the Lord. Iron sharpens iron. One person sharpens another. What does good friendship look like? It looks like building each other up towards the things of God. One last note on this is I don't think the call of this proverb is to tell us to never make friends with non-believers. Okay, that's another dish we can fall into. I don't think that's the call of this, is to say, okay, let's just get up in our holy huddle and like block out the rest of the world, right? We see Jesus. Who does he pursue? Sinners with the hope of bringing them in. So don't this, use this as an excuse to, to live in a holy huddle. We should pursue unbelieving friends. That is great. But our closest friends, the ones who are going to influence us the most, have to be people who are going to build us towards the things of God. So that's Mark Number one, here's Mark two. Friends go deep, deep, not deep, not wide. There we go. Friends go deep, not wide. Proverbs 18, 24 says, one with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. One with many friends may be harmed, but there's a friend who stays closer than a brother. Let me ask you a question. What would you rather have? One super close friend or a thousand followers on Instagram? I don't know, maybe that's like a tough question for you. Because I think social media culture has shifted this value of what's most important in friendship. Where our culture values less and less deep in meaningful brother or sister-like friendship in more and more so shallow but extensive social networks, right? Even here on campus, maybe you feel the pressure to be the person who knows everybody that you walk by, but it is entirely possible to have thousands of followers and to know every person you walk by on campus, but to have no true friends. This says one real friendship is worth more than a hundred surface level friendships. And we can look at the life of Jesus to see this. Guys, Jesus was a friend to all in one sense, right? Absolutely. But he wasn't bringing every single person that he healed and every single person that he met with him. He had 12 disciples, 12 people that he brought closest to him and said, I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to share. You're going to be my friends. We're going to go deep. We're going to share meals together. We're going to, we're going to, to, to travel together. We're going to laugh together. We're going to cry together. We're going to, we're going to share the deepest facets of our heart together. Right? He chose 12. But of those 12, their friendship had depth. 
right? We can't, we can't be friends with everyone. We have limited social capacity. We can be nice to everyone. We can have levels of friendship with everyone, but we, can, we can't have true, deep, brotherly friendship with everyone. But Jesus showed us that what the friendships that he did have, they had, they had depth, they were real. I think of one of my college friends for me that, that I had this type of friendship with. His name was Connor. And he was a guy that like, we, we got into all the shenanigans together. We loved hanging out. We laughed, you know, laughed all the time, pulled pranks on our roommates. Like literally, I'm like, there's probably no one else that I've laughed harder with than my friend Connor. But he was also a friend that I knew I could go to with anything. And he could come to, to me. Like we knew each other's deepest sin struggles. We knew each other's deepest insecurities. We knew each other's deepest ambitions. It was real and it was deep. And I would take that friendship over a thousand shallow friendships. Stop pursuing a thousand surface level relationships and pursue a few deep and meaningful relationships. But here's the thing. This takes work and it takes risk. Right? It takes work. Right? Friendships take work. They don't just happen. It actually, we have to force ourselves and actually push ourselves because our tendency is to say, no, it's going to be too weird. It's going to be too hard. What if they say no? What if they already have plans? I'm too tired. Maybe next time. It takes work to pursue this type of friendship. And it also takes risk. Risk to open up to someone. Risk to open up to the darkest parts of your heart and share that with them. But this type of friendship is good and it is worth it. Here's mark number three. Friends are there for one another. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. Friend loves at all times, a brother is born for a difficult time. There's a, see, there's a difference between a friend and a family member. A family member has to be there for you. Like, if you get stuck out in this blizzard, like, a family member is kind of obligated. They're not going to leave their brother or sister. They're not going to leave their child out in the snow. But a friend, like, they can come. They can make an excuse, right? You've got other people in your life. They can make an excuse. And it's oftentimes in moments like these and even the harder times in life that the true friends are revealed. And for a lot of us in this room, this is where we've been hurt by people that we thought were our friends the hardest. Or maybe this is where you hurt someone else where you didn't show up, or things got a little too messy. Because I think this is, this, this, that the problem is that we in our culture often connect friendship to utility. I'll be your friend as long as you have something of value to give me in that moment. And when you no longer bring value to me, I drift away. Like we had a great friendship, we bonded, it was really great at first. But then you had some family trouble back home and things got a little bit too messy. Right, we had this amazing friendship. We bonded over these things. But then your depression got worse than I thought it would in that season. But Christian friendship isn't based on utility. What you can offer me, it's based on love. And a true friend doesn't love you for what you can offer me, but they love you for you. At all times. Love that is constant, consistent, doesn't change based on circumstances or wealth or anything else. A true friend who will be with you and celebrate you at your greatest moments, your mountaintop moments, but will also be with you in the valleys. Friends help carry other friends' burdens. They don't push away. They draw near and put their arms around them. Friends love at all times. So it's worth considering, do I base my friendships off of love for that person or what I can get out of it? Here's Mark 4. 
Friends trust one another. Proverbs 27, 5 says, Better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. What does it mean to have concealed love? It means that you hold back from saying the hard thing to a friend in the name of love, and instead, like an enemy, you kiss them and tell them, like, they're doing great, and tell them it's going to be fine, while you let them walk towards destruction. But this isn't love at all, right? Because ultimately, you don't care for them. You care for you. You don't ha- want to have that hard conversation. You don't want to call them out. This proverb says it's better to be the person who's willing to say the hard thing to a friend because that proves that you actually love them and that you actually want the best for them. And sometimes it hurts to say those things. And sometimes it's risky. You're risking your friendship. But the wounds of a friend are trustworthy. You can trust someone who's willing to say the hard thing. Guys, have you ever had a conversation with someone and then you go have a conversation with a few more people like only to realize that you go in the mirror and see like there's a big piece of lettuce or something in your teeth. And I'm like, that first friend I talked to, I'm like, I'm so mad. Like, how would you not tell me that I had that right there? You let me go and talk to like three other people. I, I honestly feel a little betrayed. Like then like when someone does tell me, like, hey, Trent, you got a little something, I'm like, genuinely, thank you for telling me that because I would have gone and talked to more people. Like we, I, I desire, I want my blind spots to be called out. I want to know my blind spots. I want to know where, when I'm heading towards a cliff. I want to know when I'm heading towards danger. But it takes a good friend to actually call you out. Our big problem is that we're slow to tell people their sin and their blind spots, but we're quick to tell other people about that person's sin and blind spots, aren't we? It's called gossip. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A contrary person spreads conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. And it's, so, it's separated close friends in here and amongst your relationships, your friendships. Gospel, gossip is a powerful sin that can separate even the closest of friends. And maybe you've been hurt by someone who's gossiped against you. Maybe you've been the one to gossip against someone and hurt them. And maybe you need to be the person to take that first step towards them and ask for forgiveness and tell them what you did wrong. Which leads to our last one, Mark 5. Friends, forgive. Friends, forgive. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. Friends forgive friends when they hurt each other. And here's the reality, is we will hurt each other. Because we're sinners, we will hurt each other. But friends forgive. And maybe you're thinking, but Trent, you don't know what they did, or you don't know how often they continue to do it. But Jesus himself was the one who challenged us here when Peter approached him and was trying to get out of having to forgive his friends. In Matthew 18, 21, it says, Then Peter approached Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times must, must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Jesus says, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Friends forgive a lot. Frequently, friends are able to admit their wrongs, hug it out, and move on, right? Isn't that the beauty of the elementary school friendships? You get in an argument with someone one minute, and then in the next, it's like it never happens. Friends, forgive. So I think there's a lot of good practical advice that Proverbs has for us tonight. 
But let's pause for a moment. What is this picture of biblical friendship? The picture of friendship, of what it should look like that Proverbs gives. Friends, build each other up towards Christ. Friends, have deep, real, and meaningful relationships. Friends, are there for each other at all times, the best times and the worst times. Friends, trust one another enough to call out their blind spots and to not gossip behind their backs. And friends, forgive. Guys, isn't this the picture of friendship that we all want? The friend that you love, the friend that you delight in, the friend that not only you have a great time with, but that you can trust that they want the best for you. That you can trust, like they're not going to betray you. They're not going to talk behind your back. They're going to tell you what you need to hear up front because they love you for who you are. Isn't this the friendship that we all long for, that we want so much, that we were created for, that we crave And sometimes we have that, but the reality is that oftentimes we don't, and it's messy and broken. And sometimes the reason is other people, but a lot of times the reason is us. We're the ones who aren't that good at building other people up. I'm often the one who's afraid to share the deep stuff that might risk the relationship. I abandon people when things get messy. I gossip all the time. I can't bring myself to forgive that person for that thing. And here we're left in this space where we long, we, we, we want this type of deep, meaningful, built-in love and trust friendship. But the reality of the friendships around us often look broken and messed up, and we don't know how to get it. So let's answer that last question. How do we get this type of friendship? How do we get this type of friendship? Flip to the New Testament with me. John chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus says, This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. How are we to people be, be this type of friend? How are we to be people who love like this, to love others? We are to love as Jesus has loved us. We are to look at the love that we have received from Jesus. See, the first step of pursuing this type of friendship that we all want is not to go and take this list of five things and will myself to do it. I just need to do this. I just need to do this. I just need to do this. The first step is to realize is that we need to be friends first with Jesus. We need to be friends with Jesus. What do I mean by that? We need to be friends with Jesus. Well, remember back to the beginning, right, where we started, Adam and Eve in the garden. They were made to be relational beings. But when they ate from the tree that God commanded them not to eat from, what happened? A brokenness in relationship between them. But it wasn't just a horizontal relationship that broke in that moment. It was a vertical relationship between God and them. Here's another way of saying it. We were made to be friends with God. We were made to be in relationship with God. But that friendship has been broken by our sin. And this isn't the type of friendship that we have the power to mend. Thinking maybe, maybe if I just say the right thing, maybe if I present the right gift, maybe if I work hard enough, I can regain this friendship with God that I lost, this friendship that I long for the most. 
But we can't do anything of our own power to mend that relationship. Why? Because God, this is the only type of friendship where it wasn't two sinful parties. God is perfect. We are the ones who have broken that friendship. So the only way that we can have that type of friendship that we were made for with God again is if God pursues it at great personal cost to himself. And that's exactly what he did in Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you, is what Jesus said to his disciples as he looked at them. He looked them in the eyes and said, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Can you picture that? The God of the universe coming to earth, sitting around with his disciples. And he calls them friends. Maybe that's a new concept to you. Maybe that's weird to you. You don't think of God as a friend or Jesus as a friend, right? No, God is a king, right? God is maybe like a, a ruler. God is a judge. He sets, he sets the law. He tells us what to do. But not a friend. But this is exactly what Jesus calls his disciples. He looks at them and calls them friends. And here's the thing is he's not just any friend. He's that friend that we long for more than any other friend. He's the perfect picture of the friend that Scripture has described that we fail to meet every step, right? He's the friend who wants to build you up more than anything to love and to flourish him, to love and to flourish in the Lord. He's the friend who wants to go deep, and he's not scared of your deepest and darkest secrets. He's not scared of your failures over break. He wants you as you are. He's not, he is the friend who is always there for you. He celebrates you at your, your highest highs of mountaintop experiences, but he's also, he's with you in the valley and he picks you up when you fall. He's the friend who's willing to call you out on the hard things, to call you out on your sin. Why? Because he loves you and he doesn't want you to, to, to go and to fall and, and to, towards destruction. And he's the friend who is willing and able to forgive you because he's paid the debt that you owe on the cross so that you could be called friend. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid his life down for you so that you could be called his friend. So let me ask you this question. Is Jesus your friend? Because Jesus wants to call you his friend. But have you called him yours? Because that's the thing about friendship by definition, right? It has to be mutual. And Jesus is offering his, his, his hand in friendship to you. The true friend that our hearts longs for, that we were created for. He wants to be your friend. And I'm not saying it's going to be an easy friendship, right? Friendships are hard and they take work. Jesus will call you to change your life. He's going to call you to, to, to run away from sin. He's going to call you to follow him. But like a good friend, Jesus can be trusted and he'll be with you along the way. If you've never accepted Jesus as your savior and as your friend before, would you do that tonight? Because his arms are open wide. And here's the thing. How do we get the power then to pursue these friendships with each other? And in, 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 in this biblical way. When we surrender our lives to him and accept this offer of friendship, the vertical relationship with God is restored. But not only that, 
is that in that moment, we also gain the power to see the horizontal relationships restored as well. We gain the power to love others like God has loved us first. Think about it. Like, I don't have to be, now when I go into a relationship, I don't have to be afraid of bringing my baggage into that relationship because God has freed me from it. He doesn't identify me anymore. I don't have to view friendship based on utility because I have all that I need in Christ. And he accepted me when I had nothing to give him. And I, don't, I can forgive my friends now because I have been forgiven more than you could ever imagine. That's how we pursue this type of friendship with each other is we see the friendship that we have in Christ. We see how we've been loved. It allows us to go and, and give that same love to others. So all company, imagine the type of countercultural friendship that could form in this room and on our campuses. Friendships that are rooted in love and not utility, trust and not gossip, but joy and forgiveness. I want each of us to have that type of friendship. The friendship that brings you so much joy, the people that you love hanging out with so much, that's built on trust and built on love. And it'll take work and it'll be hard and we want to help you to do that and have that friendship. But we actually won't be able to love like that type of friend until we have received the love of our friend in Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, we confess our need. God, we have a deep longing for friendship, for relationship. God, you have made us that way. But Lord, the reality is we live in a broken world where our relationship with you has been broken and our friendships around us have been broken as well. God, and it leaves us oftentimes in this lonely and broken place. But Lord, our, our prayer is that you would help us, Lord, to see the work of your son on the cross. God, that you saw us in our loneliness, you saw us in our despair, you saw us in our need for relationship with you, God, and you pursued us. God, would you make that evident right now in this moment? God, that you are not just the king, not just the savior, not just the ruler, but our friend. Would you help us to see that as who you are? that we have a friend in you, not from any of our works, not from anything that we could do, but purely out of your love that you pursued us. God, help us to see that, that we have a friend in you. Lord, I pray for the person here tonight who hasn't ever said, Lord, you are my friend and heard the words, Lord, you are mine too. God, I pray that they would find true and real friendship in you. The king of the universe come to be their friend and my friend. And Lord, I pray that that love that we have received would hit us in our hearts, Lord, and that we would, we would then in turn look to the friendships around us and say, hey, it's going to be broken, it's going to be messy, but Lord, would you heal those? Lord, would you make those more like this picture of Proverbs, this, this flourishing friendship based on love and trust? Lord, would we love because we have first been loved? Lord, would you help us to do that? God, I pray that this room would be a model of this Proverbs type of friendship. That in a, counter, in, a, in a world that is pursuing friendship in one way, that this would look different. That this would look counterculturally. And that others would look to our friendships, the way we forgive one another, 
the way that we trust one another, the way that we call one another out because we love one another. I pray that those moments, that joy, that friendship would compel them to say, what, how is that possible? And Lord, that we would point to you. It's because I have a friend in Jesus. He saw me in my sin. God, would you give us that type of community, that type of friendship? Amen. One thing that it means to be a friend with Jesus, just as any of our friends, what do we like to do? Just to hang out with each other and enjoy each other's presence. Well, Jesus has called us his friend if we've given our life to him and we call him ours. And so that's what worship is. We have the opportunity now to be with our friend Jesus and then to enjoy him, to enjoy the love that he has received and to, to praise him and give the love that he earns. So let's stand and let's worship together.